The Joe Rogan Experience is sponsored by The Fleshlight. If you go to JoeRogan.net and click on the Fleshlight link in the upper right-hand corner, enter in the code name Rogan, and you get 15% off. Thank you very much for listening, and here we go. Buckle up, bitches. Podcast on a Plane Productions presents the great Sam Tripoli. It's honored to be in such an amazingly high-level podcast. (laughs) 30,000 feet above Canada. We are, unfortunately, against Joey Diaz's very sound advice. I watched the new version of The Mechanic. Joey Diaz gave me very strict rules. I warned you. I warned you. I said, don't go against... Coco Diaz. Yeah. Dog, dog, that's a disgrace. That movie's a disgrace. It was not good. It was weak. It was a lot of tricks and a lot of... I mean, there was some good scenes and it. it was kind of decent. But there was... I, 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 I watch movies and I rate them based on how many cut-the-shit scenes there are. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, it's always... You always... On the airplane, you always watch movies that you're like, that's kind of interesting, but I don't want to actually spend a dollar on watching it. <laughs> So since they're in your like your little yeah. line up here on the thing. Well, unfortunately, I've tried to watch this movie twice in uh, hotels, and both times I fell asleep. So I should have learned. I think that's God talking to you, brother. <laughs> it's God dressed up as Joey Diaz. Hey, cocksucker! You don't you don't remake Charles Bronson movies, motherfucker. You just yeah. don't do it. That's a golden rule of Hollywood. Yeah, it's a, Joey Diaz has some solid rules, and that's one of them to live by. We need to make that, some uh, Coco Diaz commandments. <laughs> I know. Ten commandments to live by, Coco Diaz. Well, we already have the T-shirt on hire-primate.com that says, if you ain't high by two in the afternoon, go fuck yourself. That's one. Sold like hotcakes. The moment we put it out, it was sold out in one day. So we're, we're printing thousands more as we speak. And then we're going to get another T-shirt that just says, stay black. Yeah. He's just a walking slogan machine. <laughs> just start trademarking everything he says just as soon as he says it. Just put T's and R- TMs and R's behind it. Have you ever met anybody that's more fun to hang out with ever? Never. Uh, I know where I am on the comedy hierarchy when I hang out with that guy. <laughs> Immediately below. Well, you know what it is, dude? He's a human cartoon. I mean, everything about him. First of all, you just look at him and you start laughing. Right. And then it's his attitude and then it's his accent and that, you know, his New Jersey swagger. It's like the whole, he's got everything. He's and got the speech. rants just are, 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 are amazing. They're black belt rants. Yeah. He, he's on the highest level possible. I agree. You know, Doug Stanhope said it best. He said Joey Diaz could read out of the yellow pages and make it twice as funny as anything you see on TV. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I laugh out loud when I hang out with that guy. Yeah, you know, being a comic and, you know, uh, being around a bunch of weirdos and strange people that choose this strange life that we live, you know, you, you, you get a chance to spend time with some humans that, you know, a lot of these stiffs, you're looking around in this airplane... A lot of these guys that are up here with us in first class that are, you know, probably... And Anderson, Anderson Silva's in coach, which I don't know how that happened. Yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're in first class and the greatest pound-for-pound fighter to ever walk the face of the earth. <laughs> I is, think I should just give my seat. I think that's the way to roll. I should just say, you sit here. Where are you sitting? He's sitting 10 rows behind my man, Sammy T. <laughs> I wonder if you can order uh, a Portuguese Rosetta Stone on this thing and I, so I can talk to the people sitting next to me. <laughs> yeah, we just got, we're flying back from Toronto, Canada, where we uh, were there for the biggest UFC in North American oh, history. 
It was crazy. It was at the Rogers Center, which used to be the Sky Dome, and it's 55,000 seats. Plus, they, they, they sold 55,000 out in an hour, and then they cleared room for another 5,000 seat and sold those out. Not in an hour, in a day. It takes more than that for the transactions because right, there's so right, many transactions. Right. But it was literally instantly. It was just a matter of how quickly could they trans- transfer all the money. And then, um, uh, you know, so we're at this 55,000 seat thing. And if you've never been to the Rogers Center, it's really crazy. It's the it's, star. It's, cra- it's the biggest thing you've ever seen. It is an indoor baseball field. You know, literally, it's that big. They play yeah. baseball it's indoors. The Blue Jays won the uh, 92 World Series. It's so. hard to believe. It's like when you see it, they have these monitors where they were showing the fights, you know, like like uh, the close-ups and the replays and stuff. 85 feet high, yeah. high-definition monitors. This place is so big, it has a hotel attached to it. Yeah, it has a hotel attached to it. And during, I guess during the World Series, yeah. dudes were banging their girlfriends in the windows yeah. watching the game. That's living, bro. Yeah. That guy just knocked off probably the hardest thing on his bucket list <laughs> ever. <laughs> I mean, just to be able to bone during the World Series and Blue Jays, I mean, it's never going to happen Not just bone during the World Series, but bone on television. Because they pan, the cameras pan to them. They pan to the hotel to show that there's people watching from the hotel. (laughs) And this dude is just nailing it from behind. uh, Just rodeo style, hooting and hollering while the the game was going on. I wonder if they sent him a championship ring, too. (laughs) That guy should get a belt. He should get a UFC belt. (laughs) We need to get that guy on the podcast. Whoever you are, sir. Where is that guy? Contact me on Twitter or Facebook. You are are a legend. Find me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look you up on the internet. We must know your name. They They, must have probably. They have to have a video of that, or they have to have at least a picture. Yeah. From the video of him just rocking the chip. There's got to be something on. I think there is something on YouTube. There was the guys that work there are telling us there's something on YouTube. Yeah, every every two feet we went, we met another employee, and the first thing they told us was about the guy boning. <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> yeah, yeah like, that's that's their great story. It's like lore over there. Yeah, that's like that's their yeah that's their great tale. Yeah, that's their Jesus. That's yeah. <laughs> that's their story of how crazy Canadians party. Canadians do party crazy too. Oh. By the way. And to prove it, we went to a place. What was the name of that place that we went to on uh, Friday night or Thursday night? The, what was it? It was like the Laughing or I forget what it was. Uh, hold on a second. I'll tell you in one second, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on. And I, I need to give these guys credit because they were so cool. It was such a, a, a fun gig. I got to find out. Hold on one second. Okay, it was called Clandestiny. Yeah. That was the name of it. And uh, what it is is it's a head shop for those who are not in the know. A head shop is a place where they sell marijuana pipes. And, you know, they have bongs and stuff for sale. And then in the back room, they have a legit comedy club. Yep, 100%. They have beer and, you know, and they have no ventilation, though, unfortunately. And it's a total hot box. I've never done a show like this before. It was so strange. Jamie Kilstein was the one who sent me hip to this and gave me the guy's information and got me to contact him. But... You, when you get there, we couldn't, we literally, it's, it, you could barely see the stage from the back of the room because everyone in the club is smoking weed. Yeah, it's, nobody left the club. During the whole, there was something on before us that was about an hour, and then it went to the comedy show, then it went to us, and so there, people were in there for a good two and a half hours of just, you know, 
baking. That's, yeah. They were just baking. We were da- there for like 10 minutes and we were already like, oh man, that's a little hot. We're getting really high right now. It was the most ridiculous scene ever. Like It was like doing comedy inside the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> it? it was. It was that smoky, man. It was that smoky. And while I was on, I did an hour on stage. And while I was up there, I'm looking around and Sam is in the back of the room. I can barely see him. I'm looking around through the audience. It's just bongs and joints, and they did not stop. They just kept rolling. I'm not lying to you. I'm on stage. About five feet in front of me is a shadow figure. I thought it was Joe. I didn't know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so high. I'm like, oh, he wants me to get off stage. I'm so fucking high. I'm like, I start getting paranoid. I'm like, okay, I got to get the fuck off stage. I walk out, it's some fat Mexican guy. <laughs> That's how good the weed is. The Mexicans have come up from fucking Mexico, went right through America, and went to this place for the fuck. They went straight to Canada. We uh, we uh, ate uh, edible on the plane, and when we landed, we were already barbecued. And then when we got to the hotel, You're we so just... so high you left your bag. Yeah, I was so high. I left my bag on the plane, and there's a man named Matt who works for Air Canada. Matt, if you hear this, you are my hero. This guy hooked me up because if it wasn't for him, I would have had to buy new underwear or a new toothbrush. So it's Randy Couture and, and Matt, Matt from Air Canada. Yes, Air Canada. Matt he is, is my hero. he's a silver medalist right behind Randy. Randy's, Randy gets the gold. But this guy, not only did he go back on the plane to get my bag, but the plane had moved to a different terminal because it was headed to Germany. This guy went Her over bag. to the different terminal, got on the plane, and got my bag. The guy's a stud. Yeah, I mean, he had to deal with the Germans over there, too, which is never easy. <laughs> and he wouldn't even take a tip. The guy was so cool. You know, it was, it was uh, very, very fortunate for me. Very so anyway, happy to help. Yeah, he was very happy to help. But look, Canadians are nice as fuck, man. Yeah. They're so Sometimes much nicer. You, you, you expect evil to be lurking. Yeah. You look in their eyes, you see nothing but unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> it's really weird. You're like, okay, what's going on here? Because I know something shady's about to happen, and it never really they're does. they're so nice, you feel like they're trying to rape you. Yeah, really. It's, it's like, you want something from me. Yeah, I don't, under, I don't know how they got to be so cool as a country. It's just, maybe it's because they're not trying to go out and take over the world, you know? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's something in, in America because the fact that, you know, like, Canada is still a colony of England. Like, they kind of, like, so gave weird, in. right? Yeah. And they're cool with it. They like, yeah, they're like, who gives a shit? They're way the fuck yeah. over there. And, you know, America, we, you know, not we, obviously, but a bunch of people who came here first were like, fuck England, fuck you, fuck your taxes. Literally, did they know that this would eventually become much worse than England, right. what they were trying to escape. You know, all civilizations eventually come to some same, the same point of corruption. It's just human beings have an almost inescapable need to control things and fuck people over and just make as much it's money all as cycles. possible. It's the weirdest thing. Like, if you ever watched The Matrix, when uh, Keanu Reeves meets the creator and he says, like, you're the seventh one, and they always act the same way. It's a cycle. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, even though we're, you know, maybe we're more advanced in our toys and stuff like that. But like we were talking last night, we're still wired the same way. And given, a, you know, the same kind of variables, we'll probably do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, well, that's why Canada is so confusing. Because yeah. even though, obviously, they're very competitive as far as, like, they have, you know, huge cities. And, you know, I mean, they don't make their own cars, I don't think, do they? Not that I know of. No. The only they, thing they care about is winning gold in hockey. 
Rocky. Like that. That is a must. Yeah. And George St. Pierre. And George St. Pierre. <laughs> they, you know, they, they care about a lot of different things. But they, there was a Karate Kid theme at the UFC, by the way. A little Both bit. The headbands yeah. and the kick. Well, that was George's headband. He wears that Kyokushin Karate uh, headband everywhere. And then Lyoto Machida knocked out Randy Couture with a kick that was right out Straight of a movie. Up, fucking. Right, right leg a little up, goes back down, boom, up with the kick. Well, what he did was he faked with the left and jumped with the right foot and front kicked him in the face, literally straight out of the karate Just kid. like in the movie. No can defend. The only thing that was missing was he didn't put his arms to the side like a crane. Yeah, that would have been really crazy if yeah. he did that. Here's another example of how awesome Canada is. 55,000 people inside that place. Cool and polite as fuck. As polite as can be, like order. that would have never happened in America. Yeah, like yeah, it's like there was, there was an order to getting out. Everyone wasn't, yeah. everybody wasn't trying to cut each other off, to, so they can get a little farther up quicker. And you know the traffic getting out of the play. I'm like everybody was really nice. What do you think it is though? What, what I mean, what, I think what we were saying has there's a point to that that they didn't fight off England and they are not trying to go out and conquer Iraq and all these different parts of the world. They, they send soldiers to deal with the conflict in the Middle East, but it's almost because they're allies with America and NATO and everything like that. I mean, that it, it just seems like they, they just don't have the same desire to be cunts as we do. Yeah. Well, we talked about this like uh, when we did Canada before on your last tour. It's about how like, like we're the descendants of some aggressive people. Like, you know, when America was growing, there was always like the American dream and everybody wanted it. You know, it took some very aggressive people to be like, I'm going to lay it all on the line and try to get to America. And yeah. like, you know, the stuff they had to go through is just like they could die doing it. It took a very aggressive people to get here. And then, you know, more aggressive people, more aggressive than were descendants of some, some savages. Right. Know? But the Canadians came here, too. You know, North America, just 10,000 years ago, half of it was literally under a mile high foot, a mile high of ice. A mile high. Yeah, it's a... We, the last ice age ended like 10,000 years ago. And before then, this was uninhabitable. So while people were living throughout Europe and Asia, there was no one living here. I mean, it was, it was impossible. So... Everyone who's in Canada, everyone who's in America, everyone came from somewhere else. But for whatever reason, we're the douches. I don't, I, I don't know. what. Maybe it's because we have such diversity. I don't know because when you're in Canada, regardless of you know, someone's like, ethnic background, they all seem to be like one. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're not breaking up into like, I'm Indian-Canadian, I'm you know, Mexican-Canadian. Right. It's like they're all one people. That's maybe, true. Maybe... That's a big reason because everybody's trying to get their piece of the pie. Yeah, they're diverse as far as like what kind of people live there. There's a lot of, you know, there's there's white people, there's black people. But every time that Canadian flag came up on the monitor and, you know, and one of the Canadians was fighting, the place went nuts. Yeah, it didn't matter if they were, you know, what, you know, skin color, yeah. tall, how tall, short they are. Every Canadian that fought, they got the biggest applause. Even that first fight, when it wasn't even that packed in the room. The place went nuts when that guy came in. Yeah. Well, the way um, uh, Canada's weed laws are is right now, for the next 90 days in Ontario, uh, there is no law because they, they deemed, apparently, their, their current law unconstitutional. And so they uh, are trying to either revise it or uh, they will have uh, 
it'll be legal, you know. So they're trying to figure that out over the next 90 days. So these people at this club, this clandestine, were just wide open with it, man. They were opening up the door because trying to get some ventilation in the place. Yeah. Cause you open up the door, it was a Cheech and Chong movie. Yeah, it, was, it, was it was crazy. It was really... Uh, if you could, please. Thank you. That's uh, Jacqueline, our stewardess. Hi, Jacqueline. We're having a podcast right now. Would you say hello? Would you say hello? You're all set. <laughs> Say hello. Hello, bonjour. Welcome the, aboard. This is a podcast. Podcast. Okay, we're all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> Very the world. nice. Yeah. Welcome aboard your cat. Like 400,000 people are going to hear this. <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> the stewardesses in Air Canada could not be nicer. They could. They're happy. They got. There's just happiness in their eyes. Yeah. There's not the shadiness. The best part of Canada is whatever Americans go crazy about, and there's this big, like, rift between you know, right side, left side, and they fight over it. Canada automatically legalizes it. It's almost like our experiment. What do you mean, they automatically legalize what? Like uh, gay marriage. Uh, is gay marriage legal yeah, up here? I, I'm pretty sure it's legal. Uh, marijuana, I know California is like really... Well, marijuana is not legal in Canada. In, in, in other parts of Canada, outside of Toronto and outside of Vancouver, they, they will prosecute you. Yeah. yeah well, I don't think it's even decriminalized statewide. I mean, I think it's illegal. I think that they're just tolerant of it, and that's literally how it is in, uh, in Toronto. Uh, before this sort of a situation where they don't have a law, I, I believe how it was set up was that they were just tolerant of it. They just kind of let things slide because this clandestine has been around for a while and, you know, they're pretty open about it. They just, it's a sort of a private club and they have, you know, they're pot openly there. Yeah, and guess what? I think the, the, the uh, housekeeper or maid jacked my bag of goodies. No way. I came home last night. I was going to eat a cookie and the paper bag was gone. No way. And there, was the, there was cookies in it, and there was the, all that little weed that they gave us. I'm like, there's no way she chucked that out. She looked right in there. Do you tip the housekeepers? Uh, I tip this time. I, I, Canadians are weird because when I was waiting tables all the time, Canadians never tipped, and I just thought that was a cultural thing. So sometimes I'm like, karma, bitch, but... I, I left a little money, man. I feel bad if I don't. I always tip, and they left my weed. Oh, is that what you're saying? I think she's like, back, bitch. Yeah, she's like, I'm tired of cleaning up after this dirty, cheap yeah. motherfucker. I'll be high while I clean this room. Yeah. She's like, what are you going to report? Your weed stolen? Go ahead, stupid. Report yeah, that's it. That's the worst part, dude. I used to ballet, and I knew ballets who would jack weed, because what are you going to do? You can't call the cops. Yeah. Well, there's stories of like people who called 911 when people stole their drugs and stuff like that. I think oh, yeah. I've heard that. Fucking idiots. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of those stories on, on, on the internet. Yeah. Or the cop that got so high he had to call, he called 911. <laughs> that was a cop that they had uh, pot brownies and they took them from some guy and ate them. And uh, a cop and his girlfriend, and they thought they were dying. <laughs> <laughs> Because that shit is strong. Yeah, yeah. If you've never taken pop brownies, and if you're a cop, you've probably done and seen some things that you really would probably not like to see. Yeah, and just then imagine your eyes just opening up to a whole different thing. Because sometimes you got to have a certain mentality to be a cop. And you don't, sometimes you may not see the other side. And then you take this pop brownie and just shit just opens up. Yeah, and then you've seen some nasty shit. Yeah, that's got to be a strange fucking trip, man. A very strange trip. You know, uh, another surreal thing about this trip, uh, this experience, was all these people talking to us about the royal wedding. Like, pe that people cared about the royal wedding. How strange was that? 
I was watching television. I saw guys showing up, like in like Times Square, and like what they was on the news watching the royal wedding. I'm like, what are you doing? You're a man. It's so weird. Why would you care about that? I can understand as a girl because that is every little girl's dream. Deep down inside, they want to marry a prince and have a royal wedding. I, but as a guy, a straight guy, you're like, why are you into that? Yeah. It was, it was just so strange to see it all, not just all over the news, but people talking about it everywhere. Have you seen the wedding? Did you watch the wedding? You know, a billion people watched the wedding. I mean, how many billion? Wasn't it like a billion or some crazy number? Two billion. Two billion people watched watch two that. people where they don't even know what their voice sounds I like. They had viewing parties and shit. Like UFC viewing parties, women <laughs> had viewing parties. They all came. But you know what, man? You're a podcast better than the royal wedding on iTunes in Canada. That's pretty fucking impressive, brother. Yeah, I, my, my podcast was number one in Canada. The royal wedding was number two. Suck it, stupid. And then what was number three? My podcast again. Another episode. Surrounded. Suck it again, stupid. You went airtight on the royal wedding, brother. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the the uh, experience at, at Clandestiny was fun, but it was... Uh, Really, just a, a preparation. This trip got better, yeah. at least for me personally, because you know the first night we just go in, we man, get bagged, we do a fun show, and that's cool. Then the next night, it's like we do that that huge messy hall that was fucking phenomenal, and Doug Benson got to go on, and that was great. And then for me personally, just like this UFC fight, and then hanging out with you and Dana in Dana's private room, that was fucking phenomenal. And then eating with the, all you guys after the fight, sitting next to the uh, Fratellas. Oh, man. Yeah, it was an awesome weekend. It was about as good as it possibly gets. Yeah. Friday night, we did uh, Massey Hall, which is a, a huge historic hall in Canada. Beautiful. Like, the place and so many huge acts. Of I mean, I felt, I felt like uh, I didn't belong there. I felt weird. It was one of the few shows where I was nervous like the day of the show like we were driving around and uh, I, I wasn't nervous like oh this could suck I could bomb I wasn't nervous like that but I was nervous like wow something big is going on man yeah. this is a big show like, 2700 dude that's yeah. big man I think it's 26 2600 but whatever but it was uh, an incredible place a huge beautiful historic hall and it couldn't have been cooler. The show was amazing. Yeah, it was, the feedback has been awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. The crowd was so cool. And, you know, it was, I got a standing ovation afterwards. We filmed it and, and then spent like two hours taking pictures with people and signing things and signing T-shirts. And She said there was 150. He's, I forget the guy's name, but he was like 150 people are waiting. I'm like, that's way more than 150, man. Yeah, it was whatever it was. It was a huge line, and it took hours. But uh, it, it, and again, no one was rude. Everyone was in line and orderly and cool. And they, Even they got the last up. guy who was on mushrooms. <laughs> Asked you to read his manifesto. The last guy. It did get creepy at the end. And what happened at the end? This guy. The guy comes up to me and he says, 
with stripper eyes. Just yeah. crazy stripper eyes. Like part stripper, part hamster. Yeah. Wow. There, was, there was something going on there. And he, he came up and he said, I have to talk to you about something. I said, okay. He was the last guy, okay? Yeah. And he planned it that way. Yeah. Th- this guy knew that if he was the last guy, perhaps he'd have a chance to talk to me. And it was real weird because it was like I was obligated to communicate with him. Like he has some spiritual information for me. So he tells me, um, I, uh, I was learning some things about mushrooms. I was doing my research on psychedelics and I took 6.8 grams and I came to some amazing conclusions and I have to discuss this with you. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I'm trying to get rid of the dude. I'm like, uh, well, you know, send me some on Facebook. Like maybe I'll read it, you know, if it's interesting, right? And he goes, uh, well, I was going to, I tried to, I emailed Brian Redband, but he just sent me some stupid joke in response I'm like, well, it sounds like Brian. You know, you, you email him saying you talk to God through mushrooms and you want to, can I get Joe's home address? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to send you some stupid joke. You guys should be on the next Blackout <laughs> podcast. Those two guys just on shrooms, just fucking getting fucked up. It was, it was, uh, you it was weird. It was crazy. Yeah. We were all just watching. Well, some people just really do need friends. <clears throat> yeah, some people do need friends. And, you know, some people really do need someone to let them know that you know like, like I, I know that what you experienced must have been amazing and I know that <clears throat> for you it was probably you know the highlight of your life but you don't you don't have some sort of an obligation or a need to interject this into other people's lives or like tell them that you've learned something and it's so weird that like he obviously looks up to you but like it's so weird to come to someone you really don't know with your stories of fucking drug abuse you know like that's such a weird thing to well everybody something. does it to me but this guy was ultra weird and this this is why he was ultra weird he, he comes up to me he goes he goes I've seen things that you have never possibly seen I go how do you know yeah. he goes well I just know I go you don't know what I've seen and he goes well uh, in a past life I was Carl Jung I go how can you be sure and he goes, I could tell you. Let's go somewhere and I'll discuss this with her. I go, no, I don't want yeah. to. And then security tries to get rid of him. Yeah. And he's like, I, I need to discuss this with you. I'm like, um, I can't. I gotta I'm go. From the Sigmund Freud camp. <laughs> the Carl Jung camp. So I felt I, like Jung was a bit dismissive yeah. about UFOs yeah. and flying saucers. I think, you know, he was a little bit too convinced of his own his own research. Why would you want to be somebody whose everything's been discredited? That's so weird that you'd pick a uh, psychologist who basically Everybody's discredited. Most of young people yeah. discredited. Yeah. Young, yeah. really? Yeah. Young and even like, uh, what's his name? Uh, who I just mentioned? Now I can't even remember. Freud. Freud. Yeah. Most of his stuff has been discredited. You know, after time, they just realize it's not true. Well, Freud did a lot of coke, and I find that people who do a lot of coke, they like to talk. They all did. Yeah. Carl Jung in his past life doing drugs, and in his new life, he's but doing drugs. In his defense. Joey Diaz did a lot of coke, so did Hunter S. Thompson, so it ain't all bad. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you're wired at that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what... I, I never paid attention to Freud or, or Carl Jung. I'm, I have a couple Carl Jung books that somebody recommended, so I bought them, and I, I couldn't get into it. I just, you know, it wasn't me, whatever. I, I, I need to get inspired to, to read someone's book, and I just, for whatever reason, the, the subject's not that interesting to me. I know. I have a feeling that uh, Coco might have been a Buddha in his past life. Both large men with, uh, you know... Philosophical points of view. So. <laughs> that fit on little fortune cookie type things. That's the next T-shirt. Joey in the, the lotus position, yeah. double lotus. Floating. 
as a Buddha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a with a, some sort of a, a a giant pot leaf behind him, smiling, just baked. Yeah. So, my, the point is, uh, all you crazy assholes that have had wild drug experiences, good for you. But yeah. don't corner me, man. Don't corner me with your crazy, crazy trip experiences, telling me that you found something that I couldn't possibly have seen. You don't know what I've seen. I don't know what you've seen. And as soon as you tell me that you know I haven't seen something that you've seen, I know you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly. And don't share to one of your idols the first moment you meet them. Work it through. Talk to your parents about it first. <laughs> Maybe your guidance counselors. If they, if they green light it, then approach your favorite celebrity. But don't go raid your celebrity with your crazy manifestos. Well, it was weird because he was telling me that he was a researcher. Yeah, where there's a movie, The Right, that is on Sam's little TV thing on his um, in his seat, and it's uh, this terrible Anthony Hopkins movie about exorcisms, which I think has been done to death, man. Do we need another goddamn exorcism done. movie? It's done. He is in Thor, though. I am interested in seeing that. I don't know why. Hopkins is in Thor? Yeah, he plays Thor's dad or Super Thor. Yeah, Thor, Thor looks pretty badass. I'm down for all good comic book movies. I even enjoyed the several versions of The Incredible Hulk. I liked all of them. Yeah, I did like all of them. It's just, I just couldn't understand why they couldn't get Hulk to look real. Like, you know, you know, like Peter Jackson made all those animals and all those creatures in Lord of the Rings look so real. I always felt that was the one thing about the Hulk movie that I did. Here's one thing I would really love. I'd love to see Quentin Tarantino do a comic book. Yeah. Like, I don't know why no one's ever brought, even like James Bond or something. Like, how great would that be if you gave him someone like Ghost Rider and let him do a movie like that well wasn't Kill Bill sort of a uh, superhero and it was phenomenal yeah but I'd like it to take like a a big name comic book character and just let him see what he can do with it I think the thing with movies with CGI is that they can't quite do things that actually exist they can do ogres and they can do dragons and they can do monsters but you ever see when they try to do like real animals like dogs or lions like the, the famous scene in um the uh, I Am Legend movie where Wolf Smith is, comes upon the lions after they killed the deer. They yeah, look yeah, yeah. so fake. 100%. But why can Peter Jackson make it look, oh, that's what you're saying? Because they're that fake. There's no real dragons out yeah. there, so you have nothing to compare. I got you. Yeah, you can make a dragon look like, you know, okay, if you didn't know what a real dragon looked like, okay, I guess that's what a dragon's like. But your mind can see a wolf in a movie that's not a real wolf, and you go, what kind of stupid shit is this? You're filling you know, the blanks and stuff. Do you ever hear the theory that the Native Americans couldn't see the boats of like Columbus at first because they'd never seen anything like it? Yeah, that's a stupid theory. That theory is completely okay, retarded. Bad. You know why? That theory's been discredited. That's like from the um, the uh, what is that movie? Uh, the, the 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 it's all about uh, fuck. Oh, Harry Met Sally. No, that cult Ramtha. <laughs> uh, through the rabbit hole. Uh, it's a fucking. What is that movie, man? I have no clue, dude. You know what I'm talking about, man. I'm drawing blanks. If you can't remember, how am I supposed to read? Oh, my God. I can see the font that the movie title is written in. That's what happens when you get three hours sleep and you hop on a plane. Yeah, you get 30,000 feet up in the air. I'm big in the fonts, by the way. You know, the, the movie that's all based on quantum mechanics. Uh, it's not the secret. It's uh, fucking through the rabbit hole. Whatever. 
anyway, it's, it's, that's what that, that theory that people uh, bounce around is based on. But it's a ridiculous theory because the eye can see things it hasn't seen before. Otherwise, you'd be completely blind because at some point in your life, everything you see for the first time. It's a stupid thing. The idea is that you have no point of reference or they can't see boats. Yeah, wh- that's stupid. I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah. It's all about positive thinking and energy and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I fuck. Well, it's it, it isn't the secret. You're right. Yeah. It's something else. Oh, this drives me nuts. And people right now on Twitter and people right now that are listening to this podcast are screaming out the answer through the looking hole, the rabbit hole. What in the bleep do we know? Thank you. That's yeah. it. What there in the bleep do we yeah. know? I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It took so long to come to this conclusion, but there's a man in the aisle with a gay purple shirt, and he's talking about some stupid shit, and he's driving me crazy. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I can't really concentrate. Uh, but that's... that Mozart's haircut. Yeah. <clears throat> Mozart mixed with David Icke. He's like, if Mozart was on a bowling team. That's what <laughs> so... Anyway, that's what this uh, idea that people couldn't see, the American Indians couldn't see boats. That's so stupid. Because the first time you ever saw a car, you'd be like, what? I can't see it. Where is it? You know, it's, it's a dumb... It's like the first time I ever, I ever saw a midget. It was in the uh, safety dance video. And I immediately knew it was something different. So you're totally right. I'd never seen a midget at that point. So I shouldn't have recognized it. So you're totally right. You, that was the first time you ever saw a midget? Ever in my life. I remember watching going, what is that? I've never seen a person that small before. You know, I had this conversation with Tom Segura, and I love Tom Segura, and I think he's hilarious, but he's got this whole bit in his act where he shits on midgets. And it always kind of bums me out, because I'm like, you know, I don't like shitting on anybody for anything that they have no control over. You know, like... Well, yeah. if, if you're fat, most of the time it's because you ate too much. Right. But if you're a midget, like, come on, man. That's that's just a, a terrible roll of the dice They're genetically. Very sensitive to it, man. I don't know. Someone was telling me a story one time about how, like, uh, they went to a, they were headlining a comedy club or they were featuring, and uh, a midget was having a birthday. Should we say little people? Just I mean, we getting sensitive here. Uh, but one of the little people were having a birthday, and the comic just was just going at him and at the end the guy's crying he's like this i get this all the time i can't even get this on my birthday i'm totally with you i we did something on um on uh the, my tv show on spike and now we were taking on um little people in the basketball and i made fun of them and afterwards i felt really bad because it's just like you know that is that's a really rough way to go through life even though midgets work 100 percent in hollywood out of anybody of any group, they work 100%. There's never, a, they, everyone I know, uh, you'll walk, oh man, I saw you on that TV show, I saw you on that movie. Every midget I know works a shitload. Do you think it all started with The Wizard of Oz? Oh yeah. That's where it started. And that's just, their magnum opus, that's, that's the beginning. Yeah, every comic on TV has a midget sidekick at some point. No, only Mencia. No, Chelsea Handler does. She has a midget. Yeah, it's, I don't even know his name, like Cisco or Rancho or something like that. He's like, yeah, he's got a little mustache, and she he goes on tour with her, and he probably gets laid, dude. They get laid, Brad Williams get laid, dude. Women have these weird... Guys have fetishes, women have fetishes. Do you remember that show, Surreal Life, when uh, What's-His-Face, Mini-Me, went on it? and it was Fist of Fury? <laughs> That's his nickname, you know that? 
He's got him. But when he hooks up with chicks, he gives them the fucking five finger death punch. Fucking the JJs. What what Sam is trying to insinuate is that instead of using his penis, he actually uses a small arm, which becomes a giant dick yeah. with fingers on the end of it. Oh, that's gotta be the ultimate tickler. Yeah. Get inside there and just work his little magic. Apparently, women love it. Apparently, it just rocks their socks. Oh yeah. I met the girl who did the porno tape with him. I met her too. She came to Sal's Comedy Hall. She's apparently she's a comic. Yeah, she is, and she's actually a very nice person, man. But it's just like I'm like, what would you do that for? And she tried to give me the whole story that he wanted to put out, or someone else wanted to put out. I go, I know how that stuff works. You, that video doesn't get put out unless everybody in the video wants it to be put out. And the fact that it didn't come out is because Mini Me didn't want it out. You were, she was the one trying to push it. Is that the case with like all those porns that get released? <clears throat> this guy's putting his hand on your seat. Is that the case with all those movies that get released? Is that they have they ha- everyone has to sign off? Yeah. Kim Kardashian's Paris Hilton did reshoots. What? Yeah, we had Kevin Blatt on my uh, podcast, and he's the guy. The wrote. Naughty Show podcast available on DeathSquad.tv and iTunes. And um, yeah, he, he uh, they went back and they did reshoots. The word is, is that Kim Kardashian's mom told her that she should do. Uh, they were all they were best friends with Paris Hilton. They saw what it did for her TV show, and she's like, "You should try doing that," you know. And they just no soul, man, no soul. I'm good, dude. I don't want conflict, dude. The guy looks like he fights Bruce Willis. Do you know what I'm saying? In a Die Hard Seven, yeah. Die Hard Seven, Air Canada. You know what I'm saying? So back to this uh, girl who had sex with the mini-me. She was at the, the Sal's Comedy Hall, and she, she's lost. She's got that, that Hollywood, took a wrong turn, look where I am now. It was long before Hollywood. You see it in her eyes. She's the nicest girl, though, man. I just, just some people want something so badly to get back at, like, all the stuff that happened in their, like, childhood and stuff like that. You know, they want to, that's why I'm full of L.A. is full of everybody who was on the yearbook staff and shit like that. And they want revenge upon those who hurt them in high school. I'm, she probably who is what's in the say that again. I always feel that L.A. is full of everybody who was on the yearbook staff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like these kind of nerdy people who just like come to L.A. and they just they want to get this power to strike back at those who remind them of like who wouldn't date them in high school or fuck their boyfriends in high school and all that stuff. So I always find it just so interesting. She's probably one of those people who just probably didn't have a lot of love in high school and then suddenly fucking. Now she's trying to make it big so she can exact revenge upon. So was it her? It was her idea to release this tape, and Minnie Me said no. Yeah, he fought it. He went to court. He didn't want it out. So is it available? Can you see it on the internet? I I, I don't think so. Wow. I don't think that one's available, and I think there's another one that wasn't available. But then there was that chick, uh, the, that one playmate who's one of the twins, who did one with it. Um, one of the guys on Blue Mountain on Spike TV, a brother, and they said that one was like really graphic. Really? Yeah. Graphic like how? Like really dirty. Like in the butt? Like hardcore shit. Yeah. Like what kind of hardcore shit? I didn't. I didn't see it. I don't like those tapes. No. I like. I like like professional shit. <laughs> well, you work with professionals. The Naughty Show podcast is. You know, you know, you had Jenna Hayes on the other day. You've had, how many different girls have you had? You had Dana D'Armond. Yeah, we've had like 10 of them now because it's only like 20, 18. I think we've done 18 now podcasts. So we've had about 10 girls on. 
I try to mix it up. I try to do like comics and adult film stars, and I eventually want to get into fetish stuff, like just explore all like take a light to the dark corners of all the weird stuff because I just love to find I love interviewing people one dude I was in Austin and uh, I went to uh, I was there for a UFC and I went to see Jimmy Norton he was at uh, um, Cap City Comedy Club and uh, Jimmy and I and um, Club Soda Kenny and uh, who was with me I forget who else. Oh, my friend Chris. We all went out to eat after uh, the show, and there was a girl that was at the table next to us, and she asked for a photograph with me, and she was a um, an amateur MMA fighter. So we start call- talking, and uh, Jimmy says something funny, and he says, pardon me, madam, and uh, she goes, huh, so funny that you called me madam, and uh, he says, uh, why is that so funny? She goes, well, because I am a madam. And uh, and so Jimmy has been, you know, Jimmy Norton is a complete, total pervert, you know, like uh, unabashed, Sounds fully revealed. Chick that hooked up with her it was something about he like getting spit in her mouth and stuff. <laughs> he wanted he want her to spit in his mouth. Oh yeah, he's into everything. Urine, logs, dropping logs All on his chest. Sober too. That's the oh, yeah. craziest thing. Oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just in that moment of that craziness. Thing. Yeah, he's been sober since he was a young teenager. You know, he had a real problem with drugs and alcohol when he was really young and realized, whoa, this stuff's not for me. I don't want to be a loser. And so he he stopped everything. I think at like nineteen. So you know, now here he is. He's like forty-two and just a perv, just a super perv. So he was so delighted that this girl was a dominatrix because he's been to a bunch of them and he used to date one. He used to date a girl who was yeah, a dominatrix. I never got into that stuff, like the the whippings and all that stuff. I I had the num. I had like the top fetish S and M girl in the, in the uh, naughty show live show. Got his soma, and that crew is an awesome, crazy, weird-looking crew, man. And she came in, and my friend uh, Brian Jarvis, who's like one of the funniest dudes you'll ever, he's right up there with Coco Diaz, like in terms of like uh, in the moment, spontaneity. And um, dude, she didn't tell me she was going to do this to him, but I had come dressed like a gimp. And I, we kind of played it off like when like uh, Johnny Carson would have the wild animals on, and like, uh, you know, the zoo trainer would explain, and then the wild animals would walk around and start playing with Johnny's hair and all that stuff. And, we kind of did it with a, a little gimp, like we kind of played like that. And uh, she turned him around, and she starts whipping his back. And he's totally into it, but he just went with it because he's a great character actor and stuff like so that. So he wasn't totally into it, you mean? No, afterwards, he's, he wasn't mad at me, but he's like, you motherfucker. And she totally whipped him, and the crowd was... and that's, Like hurt him? Like hard? No, 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 there was no marks. But it was like this weird whipping kind of like windmill thing she was doing. You, you, the, what Sam is making this motion like he's using two hands at the same time, like he's beating yeah, a drum. It's like I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like it was a whipping thing. It wasn't like Indiana Jones in the temple. Dude. So was it a long whip or was it one of those no, things with a bunch of little frilly things in the end? frilly things. And she just got this kind of like like, I don't know. So how just to mild pain. Yeah, but she was she was doing it. You could see. He was just like, ah. <laughs> Afterwards, he's like, you motherfucker. I don't get all that stuff, man. And I don't either. When Norton was talking to the girl, it was so strange because they went into that weird language of sub and dom. And they started talking, like, in acronyms about different things that they allow and don't allow. And, you know, and you know, I, they didn't, she didn't say, he didn't say water sports. Like, they had another word for it. And she knew. And they went back and forth. And I'm like, Jesus, fuck, man. How many times? You, so he, Norton winds up getting her number. And, you know, he wants to arrange a session, but uh, apparently he never did. 
uh, I, for whatever reason. But it was, it was so interesting listening to the, the two of them talk yeah, about... I like to get peed on. I've been peed on oh, yeah. once. Have you been? Yeah. That's well, a very funny story. I actually got peed on by the girl who um, ended up being Hannah Montana's double, body double. And uh, have you ever watched, like, I think it's either MTV Awards or Kids Choice Awards where Hannah Montana, everyone thinks she's, like, um, singing on stage and she runs down this thing and then the camera turns and it's that's where Miley Cyrus really is, sitting there. Well, the girl who ran down, that's the girl, was based on a bet that we had if she would do it or not. And she tried to do it at the comedy store, but there was too many people watching because it was just like, <laughs> almost like feared factor. I dared her to do it. So then I, I'm like, well, why don't you come back to my place and try it? She's like, I really want to pee on you. I'm like, well, <laughs> come back to my house and try it. So, and twice and try. So she came back. It's difficult. And, and she eventually did it. It was great. So then we got up and I'm like, okay, take your clothes off. We're going to, and my bed's over there. She's like, we're going to have sex. I'm like, Yeah. You know, what are you just gonna come in here and piss on me? And hit the road? What am I a porta potty? Get the... So did you have sex with her? Oh yeah, I lit her up. <laughs> so you know, explain to me how it went down. You, you say, did you go in the tub? Did you take off your clothes? Like how? Yeah, we went to the tub. Right. She peed on me. Then we went to my room and I just fucking lit it up. And it was so fun. Condom, no condom. I I condom it. Good for you. Yeah, I'm a kind of guy. You got it when a girl pees on you. Yeah. Just out of, out of respect. But then the next day, like a couple days later, a couple weeks later, I saw her and she looked like like Miley Cyrus. I go, you know, you look exactly like, first of all, like when you see her after that, you got to like really let a girl know. It's cool, man. Listen, right. I'm not going to run around and tell anybody. Well, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, only four hundred thousand people on a podcast. Yeah, no, no big later. deal. Yo, bro, we're only number two on iTunes right now. Okay, so I got an enemy now. I have a no. very powerful body double. You, you didn't say the name. No one's gonna find out who she is uh-huh. unless they go on the IMDb and then it's readily available. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> this is all based on a true event, but the characters are different. Yeah, we altered. It wasn't really Miley Cyrus. It was... Yeah, it was someone, uh, L- Lindsay Lohan's body double. Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, there we go. And um, <laughs> Whatever happened to her? I don't know. That's the weirdest thing. I don't know where I even came up with that reference. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's a that's an interesting reference right there. And it's... Uh, I don't know. She just... Somehow she had some stuff going and then it disappeared. Like, Heather Graham's like that, too. Like, she, she had that small role in the, the uh, hangover, but... Like, you gotta think about when she did Austin Powers, like, that was, she's pretty powerful at that moment. Yeah, who knows? Who knows, man? Being a chick in Hollywood is the most transient thing in the world, like... Well, because there's always a new model coming out. Yeah. Like, you would be hot, and then, you know, two years later, there's 3.0 coming out. There's only, like, one or two Julia Roberts. You know, there's, like, Sandra Bullock, Julia Roberts. Angelina Jolie is a great example of that. They just keep churning out new models of her like you know Angelina Jolie then it was Megan Fox and then there'll just be another one right after that there's a magazine that I keep in my bathroom just for a goof from 2003 uh, we went to Brazil and actually Bruce Buffer gave me the magazine would you like to read this I read it it's really good one of the biggest delights of the UFC was being able to watch Buffer introduce fighters I, I, I you probably see it all the time but because in pay-per-view you know when he's introducing them, they're showing the fighters so you never get to see him and like watching him just he's almost in their faces screaming their credits at them just so excited 
it up. Just face like, like a plum. Just yelling as loud as he can at their faces. Like the greatest hype man ever. Ever. He's the greatest ring announcer by far. There's not even a close second. I, I was really like blown away by how awesome he is at it. He's so into it and it gets you hyped. You're like, yeah. If you this haven't seen it, folks, champion. if you want to appreciate this, what you got to do is go online and look up the Buffer 360. It's on my YouTube page and it's a video that Brian Redband made of what well, we talked uh, Bruce Buffer into doing a 360, 360 degree rotation when he introduced Brock Lesnar at UFC 100. And uh, we made a, a fu- an awesome video about it. And you can check it out on uh, on YouTube. You, you have to see it to truly appreciate how animated, especially if you're not an MMA fan, to appreciate how crazy and animated this guy is. I was really blown away, man. It really hypes the fight. Oh, he's awesome. He, he loves is- it. He's so, yeah, he blew his knee out. He blew that's his knee how, out. That's how big he could just sit there and be like, hey, this guy, he used to be yeah. lightweight champion. This guy, good luck. You know, yeah. but he's just. He's one of the few ring announcers that actually adds to it. He really does add to the event. There's many times where he does it, and I just look at Goldberg and I go, that guy's the best. He's yeah, the best. I the best ever. With you. I would never have known that before this fight. And where I was sitting, I could really feel his energy, and it was just like. He's an animal. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. He so commits to it. So anyway, we, we were on our way to Brazil, and uh, we we're on the same flight. And uh, Bruce gave me this Maxim magazine, and on the cover of it is the woman who was in—I guess it was Terminator Three. Gorgeous chick, and it was like you know she was the female Terminator. She was oh, the new yeah, model, yeah. The white, the, the blonde chick. Yeah. And they were like the next hot thing. And so this this article, they're interviewing her about all the projects she's got coming up, and you know she's gonna Hollywood's not gonna get rid of me. I'm around for a long time. He's on one of those. Yeah. Lots of moxie. I'm yeah. out there making movies, and I'm going to be a star. Gone. Vanished. Disappeared. Gone. Yeah. Who was the chick on uh, Baywatch that was on Charles in Charge? And she went to Baywatch, and you just never hear from her anymore. Either. I don't know. There's so many of them. I've done so many TV shows with so many girls that were so promising and looking forward to the future. I mean, that's why they wind up marrying rich guys. I mean, so many of them just bail out of the game. The stress is unbearable, and you, you almost have to become like this crazy super ambitious sort of a monster to, to, to fucking make it through the, the machine that's why you know women like Jennifer Aniston are 40 something with no kids still and you know not knowing where all their eggs went because they got caught up in that, that machine you know and they, and they, they forget it, to be a human and sometimes it, it, it gets to them they get very depressed because they they buy into the you know sometimes they buy into the whole it's career first family second and, they, you know, they go for that. And then, you know, at a certain time, it's like they're 35 and they're like, oh, what have I done? And then, you know, the clock's ticking and you see this mad scramble to get family and all that stuff. And I've met so many girls like that, man, that are 36 and they're like, should I freeze my eggs? What should I do? It's like it's such a, a, a weird thing, man. The, 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 the drive and the ambition to become famous and to become a part. And sometimes it's not even what they really want. They just think they want it because they don't have it, because it's out of their reach. And it seems like when, you know, with human nature, like to pay attention to the alpha is normal. The one person that gets the attention, the tribe leader, but it's like a natural instinct we have because the one person that's older and wiser and has accomplished more, well, you can learn from that person. So we have this 
this inclination, this instinct to follow the alpha. But when they put someone on television, it really bypasses all of your natural systems and gets you convinced that that person's the alpha. Yeah. Even though that person is an idiot, they have a spotlight on them and there's cameras and everyone's paying attention to them. And I've seen it on movie sets. I've seen it on television oh, sets. Yeah. It's the reason why so many actors get huge egos. I felt it myself. I felt it myself on Fear Factor. I never acted on it. I, I assessed that area of my personality and, and went, wow, that's stupid. Like, why am I thinking that I'm a hot shit? I mean, I tried not to. You know what I mean? I never acted on it. But there's a certain point when you show up and everyone's kissing your ass. Like, yeah, I must be the shit. And then I'd be like, whoa, whoa, no, I'm not. No, no, stop. I'm just a guy in front of a camera. This is ridiculous. This is the only reason why I'm here is I got lucky. You know, you, 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 you got to put it all in perspective. But the natural feeling of all these people that are around you is to kind of kiss your ass. And if you're a dumb person, that's very intoxicating. You can get confused. You start, uh, you start believing it. Yeah. You know, and you start believing that that is, it's, it's kind of like when you meet a comedian who thinks they're a tough guy because they're f funny on stage. And you're like, yeah, you're funny, but I'll blast you right in the face and you'll fucking cry. I mean, I've been in fights, bro. I, you know, it's like you're bad on stage, but that's not who you are off stage. Well, there's also this thing on stage where there's a sort of a bravado to try to keep the crowd on their heels as if, you know, yo, you guys better back the fuck up because I'm here now and I'm like all the others. I'm different. I'm not like them. You know, it's like it's like they're almost like a, it's a preemptive strike to try to, like, get people to respect them because, you know, every time you go on stage, people are judging you and, like, so some, some dudes do sort of a take that sort of a fake tough guy stance. Yeah, it's very, it's very obnoxious. I've seen a couple people who have, uh, you know, have quote unquote made it, and they just are known for being the biggest dicks. I just, I, I never understood that. Like who? Out somebody. I don't want to. Come on, call him out. Call out one. Give me one. I've heard none but bad things about that. Aziz Azari kid, man. Really? Yeah. Like he's I met him once, and he was very nice. Uh, I don't know him. I mean, I only met him at the improv. I said hi. He said hi back. But I have heard bad things about him as well. I just, it just it makes no sense. You've been blessed to make it. I'm, I've just heard it. Maybe tomorrow I'll hear the nice stories about him, too. But I've just heard instant after instance where it's like... Just sometimes you also hear those those stories from people that are insecure and that are jealous and you know they see the kid all of a sudden he's blowing up and you know and they hate on him or there is something I see that a lot you know and for me it's like I see that a lot with like people like people feel that way sometimes with like someone like a Whitney Cummings who is like they they don't know why this is happening and I, you know for me personally I've always had a really great relationship with her and she works hard she's always worked hard she's done everything she can she changed lifestyle she her, how she operates she she works so hard and you know and what do you so, mean by she changed her lifestyle like uh I, every time i meet her she's like i've quit doing this i've quit doing that I, quit, I don't drink i don't do that i don't do don't drink coffee like she's constantly like doing whatever it takes to make herself more confident in what she's doing and that you know, sometimes I gotta admit, I'm someone who can't always do that. And like when I see someone do that, I think that's very like uh, empowering. I mean, like I have a lot of respect for her. I don't know her. I've never met her. I honestly, I don't know what she looks like. I, I know her name. I don't even know. I don't know any of her jokes. I know nothing about her. So for for someone like me, like tell me, like what is the the knock on her? I think there's just some people that just don't know why it's happening. She's becoming popular. Yeah. And you I'm, know what they're really saying is, why isn't that me? 
oh, I see that all the time. Yeah. When they're saying, when, they're, when they see someone's popular, they're like, why is she making it? They're not really saying, why is she making it? They're saying, why am I not making it? That's what they're really saying. And I see why she's making I mean, I watch her. I've watched her do stand-up now. You know, at the comedy store, she goes up way early. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a late-night rumbler. But, you know, it's like, I see her go up again after some animals, and she doesn't flinch, and she does her act. And, like... I have a lot of respect for that. And I, you know, it goes back to kind of what you're saying. It's like people, some people need to accept that someone's going to make it. Someone's going to make it, man. Not everyone's going to make it. There's degrees of making it. And it's like happiness. Are you happy with what you're doing? And that's, that's a it. terrible thing when people get upset and jealous of someone else making it. And somehow they feel like it's a slight against them. Yeah, I remember one time when Bobby Lee got Mad TV and I was so happy for him. And he's like, why are you so happy? I go, you know, things are happening for you, man. Maybe, you know, things are happening for me. It's like, what's good for you is good for me. I was really happy when, because for the first couple of years, like when I came to L.A., you were, you were already, you know, on your way up. So you were already in. But for the longest time in L.A., like I, I didn't see anybody in my class or even just below, starting to blow up. There was, you know, they were still holding on to those 80s and 90s comics that were, kind of trying to control the, the whole thing I didn't see anybody hitting and I think the first one to hit was I, I want to say Dane Cook but I don't even think it was him I really he wasn't in your class he was in my class I think BJ Novak was, was the first one who's that the guy he, he helped co-write the American uh, office uh, he's funny cat you know he's a little younger than me but he's the first one of that my kind of class. that is an important point though because when someone is in your group and they make it it's almost like oh there's hope you know new people are making it yeah, you know yeah, it I, could that's totally how I saw it when you got nothing going on and you're struggling to pay your bills and all of a sudden someone lands a movie or lands a TV show or their special takes off you know you start you, you get a certain part of you if you're healthy gets hope because you say okay new people are becoming famous 100% man because you know the way the machine works they'll just keep going to the same people keep going to the well over and over again you know and they just don't stop and you're like oh what about my shot and like when you see the new people starting to trickle up it's it's very well, cool. Sam. You've always been a super cool dude, and you're you're not jealous at all. I've never seen you be jealous or or negative or have a distorted point of view about anybody. That's why you have this thing with Bobby, where you were like, you know, I'm happy, man. I'm happy for you. You're that dude, but that's rare, you know, especially amongst insecure comedians. It's it's so often that it's the other way, you know, that they see someone become successful and they got jealous. Like I had, I went through that with Mark Marin, man. I did his podcast, and you know. He kind of cop to it and we had this whole discussion about how it just kind of fucked with his head that i had only been doing comedy for a few years and all of a sudden i was on tv yeah. and he was you know he couldn't sell out clubs and it was just it was a really you know there is a there is a degree of that too but there's also sometimes when some uh, comics are so competitive and nasty that they do whatever they can to make it even including screwing other people on up and then when they get to where they they get to the top and they hear all this criticism, they just blame it on like jealousy, and that's really not it. I mean, like someone like you, Nick Swartzen, is someone who is at the top of the hill, and I don't know one person who doesn't like that guy. He's awesome. I love that dude. But you know what, Matt? <laughs> He's also this, you know, unthreatening character and super friendly, and you know, there is something to that. And sometimes I think that people mistake my energy for cockiness and I, I 
I see that sometimes in how people react to me and you know it's the whole package it's like you know in comedy sometimes you got to find out what the crowd's willing to take from you what they're not willing to take from you and your package is, you know when Caparello walks up on stage he looks like you're you know your your newspaper boy. He's not threatening, and you also get a sense. Gabriel Iglesias, same thing. You know this. You know this fluffy Mexican walks up in a Hawaiian shirt and stuff like that. Sometimes I've always felt that like people, even on my podcast, they mistake my like energy for like cockiness and arrogance when it's really just enthusiasm for what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? It's. I think sometimes that's hurt me in the long run. No, I don't think it has, man. I don't think it's hurt you at all. I think it's only hurt you against douchebags. You know, the, the, what you were talking about, about people uh, doing a lot of things to fuck people over and stealing material and stuff. We, we had been talking about that, you know, without an outing any of these new comics that are doing that. There's a, a crop of comedians, uh, three of them in particular, that are, you know, huge known joke thieves. And, you know, they're fucking people over left and right. And there's a, a, a big issue with it right now in the comedy community. And, you know, the rumblings are out and everybody's seen it. And, and they've talked to these guys and they've, you know, tried to get them to stop but there's a lot of these guys and in particular two of them are guys who used to open up for Mencia and used to open up for Dane and they're guys who kind of saw some unscrupulous behavior pay it's off. It's like there was a conversation behind closed doors you know where it's just like this is how you do it and you know what it's business and fuck them you know what I'm, I can do it better I mean, I've heard stories about that they take your jokes and they do it better. Well, you know what? Fuck you, man. That's not fucking cool That's at all. That's the most ridiculous argument ever. But you know what? A lot of the, the audience says that. When I, when I had that video with Mencia, if you listen to that video, when I'm on stage and I'm saying to him, you steal jokes, a woman in the audience with a Mexican accent, I can't believe it, she goes, Surprise he did it better. He did it better. You could hear that. Somebody make that a ringtone. He did it better. He did it better. That's, that's every time you get a text message from some cunt that should say that. He did it better. That's like someone stealing stealing your money and buying a nice car and they're like they spent it better you know it's the same thing it's like well, it's like someone stealing your car and driving by and you're like hey that's my car and people are like don't hate he looks good yeah it, he looks better in that car there is a group of people that no matter what kind of evidence you show them they're never yeah. going to accept that what's really going on and you know it's like I felt like there was a little backlash against you in certain parts not because they thought you were wrong, but there's so many people making money off of that machine that they get angry when you fucking try to sink that boat, and it fucking sucks, you know. And there are people like, "Well, this is that's not right." You shouldn't. I'm like, "Well, you know." Well, that was Mar Marin. His dumbass well, said it. There was a bunch of people. I would yeah. say, well, there was, and I always tell them, like, "Look at the tape. Look where he's. Look where Carlos is standing. Look where Joe's standing. It's pretty obvious who initiated it by positioning." on stage you you obviously had been on stage came back off stage he's on stage calling you on I mean it's obvious what's going on right there and you know what this is the fact there is a fucking sound there's a uh, a word that is yelled when Carlos runs into the room that so the comics know not to do their material I had one time sat there and almost pissed Steve Byrne off because I knew Carlos had just walked in the room and he was doing this this uh Vince Vaughn was in the room and they're best friends and Steve wanted to show Vince this new uh, chunk of material he'd been working on 
and Carlos had just walked in, and I, I saw Steve starting to go into it, and I, I was just on the side of the car corner, just like with fucking like flares, <laughs> just fucking no, God, God. He's like, what? And anyways, he's like, you ever notice? I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. And he just stops, and all of a sudden he just starts going into another bit, and I'm like, okay, cool. So then he does his time. He's like, okay, who's next? And they're like, Carlsman C, and you just see him go. <sighs> You know, just like, <laughs> thank you so much, because that would have been a joke that he would just jacked right there. It's a very easy premise to fucking jack. So I was like, I didn't want him to do it. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you the story. of Car- Did I tell you Carlos bumped me in uh, Addison at the Im- I've never told yeah. you this story. I, it was one of the, uh, I, I got the headline, uh, the Addison Improv a while ago. Awesome club. One of my favorites to play. Dallas is just a great town, but love, that love one Texas. is, Addison's phenomenal. Got that side, crazy, dueling piano bar where you're like, people are really into this shit, but you sit there, you drink a little, you're like, this is badass, man. And they got all these crazy party people, like another, a great red state to party in. Like, they have certain political views, and you're like, I don't even care personally. It's like, but they love to party. And so, anyways, I'm having fun the whole week. The first time there, I get a standing O. I was like, wow, this is going to be a great week. Uh, well, Saturday night, there's three shows. And uh, after the first show, one of the managers comes up to me. There's a chance Carlos might show up and want to do a set. I'm like... I'm like, I can't even get away from him on the road. The guy bumps me all the time at the comedy store. And I know he does it on purpose. What year is this? This was, uh, I'd say, a year and a half ago, maybe two. Really? Yeah. So um, so this is all after the fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what he would do, he's known for calling in and getting the lineup. And he, you know, he picks where he wants to go. But what would happen was... Is like if I knew he's on stage, I'd cancel. If I knew I'd have found, I just don't want it because there's no point in that. So what he started doing was he would bump one before me, and it was always one before me for the longest time. So I could never say, "Oh, he always bumps me." He always bumps the one person before me. He was doing it forever. But anyways, I'm in Addison, and um, I'm just I'm like, I hope he doesn't show up. And all of a sudden, Brad Williams comes doing that midget dance. Like, hey, and you know, that walk. I'm like, Brad, oh, fuck, I think in my head. And in comes the Mexican entourage. And he's greeting everybody. He won't even look me in the eye when he shakes my hand and introduces me to everybody. He's like, I I know they're listening, so they won't be able to see it. But he, like, shakes my hand, looks the other way as he says my name, and he leaves. And I have this rule with anybody, you know, because I got burned by a feature once on the road. So I have a rule. If someone goes up 30 minutes, for over 30 minutes before me, bumping or as a feature, I don't go up because that's a headlining, you know. I'm like, you know, if you go up, they know it's you, but I'm not at that level. So the guy goes up, they start getting in headliner mode. That's the crowd. So I go, if he does over 30 minutes, I'm not going on stage. And uh, they go, okay. So he goes up, 27 minutes, he ends his set. No, I'm like, okay, let's fucking do this. So he goes, you guys have been great. And, and he's trying to bury me. If you ever listen to Marin's podcast where he talks about trying to teach people lessons, he's trying to teach Isn't me a lesson. funny? Teach people lessons. He's trying to teach me a lesson because he is dropping everything he can. And the boom, boom, boom. He's like, you guys have been a great crowd. 
place goes fucking nuts. And they go, are you ready for your headliner? He goes, are you ready for your headliner? And the whole room goes, oh. And I'm like, fuck. And then my... my they, they gasp like, oh no? Yeah, like someone's got to follow this. And literally, I just get tunnel vision, dude. I'm like, I'm the loneliest human being on the planet right now. <laughs> I have to follow this dude in Texas. Shit's going to be weird. This is wh- why I can't stand the guy. And I'm civil to him when I see him. He introduces me, man. And I've never seen anyone do this. He runs off stage. Imagine if I was bringing you on stage and I didn't even wait to shake your hand. And I just ran off and left the stage empty. Oh, that's on purpose for sure. That's to, to try to leave you lonely and uncomfortable when you go up there. To make it less, less fun for you. I've never seen somebody run off stage like that before. He leaves it empty. And I just go up on stage... And I have this joke I do when I felt like a really big name crushing it. And uh, I just dropped it and the place just goes, boom. What's the joke? Well, it's, it's not the greatest joke in the world, but people think it's funny. It's just like, oh, great, I got to follow fucking Carlos fucking it. In Texas, great. She go to my gig next week. I'm following the fucking Pope at the Vatican, and it, you know, it's not the great, but the people fucking love it, and they just go boom. And I swear to God, like the crowd just said, "We're gonna fucking do this." And it was the greatest. Maybe it was just all in your head. Maybe they weren't worried about you following this guy at all. They just thought uh, he was funny. Really? Maybe that's possible. But we maybe they just there to see comedy. Right? Forty-five minutes of just fucking crushing, dude. <laughs> Of course, I'm a fucking knucklehead. I get off stage. I go to the bar. Everybody's like, you fucking rock that shit. We knew you could do it. High five. Buy me shot. Final show. Fucking drunk off my ass. Fucking I got through it, man. But it wasn't my brightest moment. Kind of Did he go up on that show, too, or just the one show? Just that one show. So you got full of yourself, and then the final show, you kind of ate a dick? I kind of, like, it's hard for me to refuse shots. It's kind of my problem in my life. So just doing shots and alcohol is the enemy of comedy after a certain point. Oh, 100 percent. 100. I, I know that. That's I like to have a beer. I don't even need to drink before I go up. I just like to have a beverage once in a while. And it's just like, yeah. So he just, a drink is good. A drink loosens you up. Uh, a couple hits of weed loosen you up. But too stoned or too drunk. Never good. Too stoned is way easier than too drunk, though. Because I can get too stoned and then get into this zen mode like I was. When we were on stage at Clandestiny, the pot club in Toronto, I was hearing the words come out of my mouth and going, oh, yeah, that's me saying those things, not having a clue as to what I was saying. I didn't deviate from my material at all. I didn't think I could. The only time I deviated was I went on this rant about no oxygen in the room and that all the candles were only lit on promises <laughs> that they had had a conversation with the pot. And the pot was Did like, dude, we'll get you some set? air. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I record all my sets uh, with this iPhone, the same phone that I'm using right here for the podcast. This fucking thing's amazing, man. I, all the podcasts on the planes, people go, what kind of equipment do you use? iPhone. That's it. You know, I've thought about bringing more uh, expensive equipment, but look, we got fucking David Ike with his purple bowling shirt in the, on the aisle. He was talking through half this thing. I know I'm going to get feedback from this podcast. Like, I hear that guy in the background. He's annoying. Yeah, man, dude, I get feedback from sipping coffee on my podcast. And dude, I, I, it's so, so funny how the, the, my comments on the podcast, like on my message board, like there's so many message board members that there's an invariably going to be a certain 
percentage of them that are douchebags, but they will criticize and critique every last second. Yeah, I, I, it's a weird thing because it's anonymous too. They can just yeah. say whatever they want. And I, I just well, they also hate when you talk about com- oh, they're talking about comedy grand z z z boring. You know, like it's you know people want you to talk about what they think is interesting only. And you know you gotta understand that with a podcast, with a podcast is is a conversation, and you may like it and you may not, but it's free and enjoy it if you do and if not hey you know i do not understand why people who don't like something continue to listen i watch television for two minutes if i'm not into it i change the channel that said though i've gotten a lot of good critiquing and good criticism many many times if it's if there's a validity to what they're saying i will i of course i mean like i am not a budge above criticism i actually like constructive criticism even when someone's being super negative if they've got a point even if you don't agree with that point or even if they're only slightly correct and they've exaggerated it it can actually benefit you douchebags can benefit you i, I, I really like do when believe they get that. nasty like i've yeah. had guests on my podcast and they just said nasty shit i'm like there's no nothing guests? yeah like who oh uh, like if you go on the stream. One of the girls who was on it, uh, one, she's a pole dancer in my show. This one guy just wrote the nastiest fucking thing about her. And I'm just like, what is the point of that? Uh-huh. Calling her like these dirty, filthy words. I'm like, there's no point to that. Yeah. You're, you're not doing anything constructive. Well, there's a lot of people out there that are totally unbalanced. And that's really what it is. I mean, that whole the, the, the expression balanced or unbalanced. Could I get another glass of water, please? Thank you. What's your name, brother? What's your name? Matt, Matt, say hi to the people in the podcast. Hey. It's like 400,000 people listening. Matt on Air Canada. Everyone fly Air Canada. We're the best in North America for a reason. Matt is very cool. He's been taking care of us all flight. Thank you very much, Matt. Matt's a nice guy. Um, so um, what were we just talking about? That's the gayest guy in the history of the world, by the way. Ever. Ever. But the nicest guy. Nicest guy. Elton John looks at that guy and goes, God damn, he gay. You cannot meet Matt and... And say no he chose to be like that. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, guy, anybody yeah. who's a hater, yeah. you know. But uh, I want to ask you. Speaking of hearing people talking, uh, last night at the fight, I was watching uh, when Jake Shields was fighting, and his corner had Gilbert Men- Men- Melendez, Melendez, strike force lightweight champion, and he was shouting out instructions. But can he hear them? Because I felt like I was equal distance from him, and I know he's shouting that way, but. I couldn't hear a word. I could see his mouth moving, but could they? Maybe he could tune out most people and hear his corner. Some fighters can say that you can, but it's so hard when you're dealing with 55,000 people screaming. It was deafening in there. I mean, it was the loudest crowd I've ever heard yeah, by they a were long shot. Very shot-out. loud. They were, they, it was, the energy was going, especially when, when you had some amazing knockouts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's three times more people than any, any crowd that we've ever had before. Have you ever seen a, a, a card like that where there were so many insane like uh, submissions and knockouts? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was one a good night? one. Yeah, it ha- it's happened before, but it was definitely a good card. It was an excellent card. Up until the, the final fight. The final fight wasn't the best fight in the world, but up until that, yeah, it was, a, it was an excellent card. I always felt like, a, like when you get one versus one A, you could always be a, a, a boring fight. Because, not that that fight was boring. I, I was honored to be there, but it's just like they have so much to lose, and they're so like high level of skill that they may cancel each other out, and they, there may not be a lot of action because they're so protective of what they're doing, and they're so 
matched up that maybe there's no engaging like strike force i always felt like back in the day they, they, there were some mismatches going on so you had these awesome knockouts where you had a guy who was a good fighter versus a guy who was a phenomenal fighter like i remember one card they had where it was just like crazy knockout after crazy knockout after crazy knockout that's a very astute point by you because that's one of the main criticisms with Strike Force was that their talent pool was not that deep, so they had excellent fighters fighting against guys who weren't that good. And they and then it led to a spectacular knockouts that just you know, and guys like to watch that, but maybe that's what I felt was like the UFC is like sometimes these guys are such a high level and they have so much riding on it that maybe it's hard for them to want to risk it all. I thought at some point Jake Shields should have had nothing to lose and just fucking just gone right into him. I don't, it's so hard to do that. It's I'm so sure. easy to say, but to throw caution to the wind and get blasted in the face and possibly knocked unconscious, you know, nobody wants to do that, yeah, really. Yeah, it's easy for me to sit outside and say that, but I just wanted to see... If as a could, comic sitting there having a hot dog. As a shaped comic with bitch tits sitting there, <laughs> fucking a bad mohawk, fucking questioning his fucking fighting skills, yeah. There's one thing that you learn when you watch uh, guys, those, those guys, is the, the amount of commitment that's involved is, is not a joke, man. There's no dabbling in fighting. When you're talking about training, intense training, eight hours a day for eight, ten. Dominic Cruz trains 12 weeks in a row. I interviewed him yesterday. He's the w, uh, well former WEC Bantamweight champion, current UFC Bantamweight champion. Bad motherfucker. And he uh, was talking to me about his training routine. He trains for 12 weeks and the first six weeks of his camp is all just brutal breaking down of the body with strength and conditioning and then the final 12 or the final six weeks rather first six weeks just kettlebells and sprints and deadlifts and then just madness just strength and muscular endurance stuff and the final six weeks all skills all like pad work and jujitsu and and so that he, he he conditions his body to this insane peak and then rides that conditioning out with his uh, with his skill set training and you know then that's an unbelievable commitment unbelievable, man. man and uh, that weight class is a very exciting weight class it's very interesting because I always felt you could be a heavyweight you could be older and be a heavyweight because is it as much about speed even though Kane is like lightning fast someone like Randy can be around for that long because it's more about power and precision and stuff like that whereas you know those really like lower weight class it's all speed and he, like if you look at like someone like Roy and even though it's boxing Roy Jones I mean if I got in the ring with him he just boom I'd be like what's going on but like at that weight class it's like to lose like the smallest amount of speed yeah. could be deadly. Sure, and look what happened to Roy Jones when he lost his speed. He started getting knocked out, you know? He was untouchable in his prime. Oh, and they were talking about, you know, because uh, I read an article on LeBron James in basketball, and uh, someone was talking about, like, uh, him and, like, someone like Tracy McGrady, who were, like, born with the most amazing natural skills of basketball. Not, they don't necessarily train. all the, Like, they don't work on their skills as much. Because it comes so easy. LeBron to James doesn't train. Well, no, no. They they say he's he doesn't work out as much on it. Like he's not known for being at at the game like an hour or two hours early working on a shot. He's not known as that guy. Um, that like someone like Tracy McGrady now, who's had a couple surgeries on his knees and back. His athleticism isn't there like it used to be. Therefore, it's diminished his skill set because he never really had to work on it because he was so infinitely better than everybody else athletically 
you know. So maybe, like, I was wondering if that might happen with MMA fighters where these guys are so lightning fast. You mean the lighter weights, like the 135-pound yeah. guys? Yeah, I'm sure it will. The, the, you know, you don't see older boxers in the lightweight division in, in boxing, you know. Because I felt like that's what happened to Roy Jones. Like, he had so much speed on everybody. And then he lost it. Yeah. And then he lost it, and he still has that fighting style where he has that speed where he's, his right. hands are down, he's... he's well, that's the difference between him and Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins always had perfect boxing technique. He always keeps the guard up high, and he has a, a fairly conservative game, and that's why he's like 46, and he's still fighting for the title. I mean, it's incredible. I, uh, I sometimes go down the wild card to train because I just love being in that gym, seeing Freddie Rowe. You work out there? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do there? Uh, I, I do. I like. I'll do some uh, jump roping for a couple rounds, shadow boxing, and then I'll uh, I'll work the uh, speed bag, the, the timing bag, heavy bag, and then I'll, I'll get one of those crazy guys who hang out there, throw them ten bucks to do the hold the mitts for me for a little while. I just like to mix up my workouts and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that just anybody can go to that gym and work out. I love it, dude. I love it so much, man. And one time Bernard Hopkins showed up, and I got to watch him train for a little while. And I, I just wanted to get in a time machine and go back to me when I was like 12 and smack myself for thinking I could be a pro athlete. Because <laughs> you look at this guy, he's a cyborg, man. You just see the build and the, the way he's building it, like, you know, the neck and all that stuff. And it's like, that's genetics, bro. Like I genetics never... and years and years of training and living correctly and, yeah. You, you, you know, at some point, you got it or you don't got it. I mean, you have to have it to a certain point. And then you can be the hardest worker on the court or the ring, and that can get you so far. But you got to have a minimum, yeah, a minimum amount of that athletic athleticism to even get to that area to compete. Yeah, there's no question about it. It's not a level playing field. And, you know, things balance out with intelligence and with hard work. But the bottom line is you get a guy like John Jones who is athletically gifted and has intelligence and has hard work, and you're fucked. I'm, uh, you know, even in comedy, I was, uh, I'm blessed. I've always been fast. And it's so funny when you, comedy and how much it's like sports and that. I remember when Michael Vick first got into the NFL, he's talking about how fast the game was. And then after a couple years, it slowed down. And, like, I tell young comics that about, like, dealing with hecklers. It's like you're moving so much faster than the crowd. So when you get heckled, if you start panicking, don't panic because you're moving faster than them. What seems like eternity to you is a millisecond to, to the crowd. You know what I'm saying? So you can sit in the pocket and think about a response, then throw it out. And to them, it was instantaneous. You know, that's how it is with my heckling. Like, I have so many tools that I could, I could hear a heckle and just take my time because I'm moving so fast in my brain that I could, oh, here's That's experience. Ball. That's not like a genetic thing, right? But that, that there is a certain amount of uh, ability uh, synapsis almost to uh, do you think that that is out? your personality though the way you grew up the way the, all the people that you are you like you know I think when you grow up around a certain amount of people that are you know fucking with you or cracking jokes you learn how to be quick witted it becomes a part of you know how you naturally think yeah 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 well I mean you have to have a natural ability to come up with something funny and then your ability how quickly you can shout it back is you know that's a genetics thing right there you or think you're, so you're, you think that's you're wired yeah. I mean, some people are good with hecklers. Some people aren't. I always thought that that was a personality thing, more than anything. You know, well, personality is like, well, what is that? Is that, 
is your personality is that based on your uh you know habitat or your, your genes i mean i think uh, it's a good question yeah, i think it is a combination something like that. yeah you know for me when i was growing up you know i mean i got in fights but me and my friends were more uh about the verbal attacks uh we would like on the weekends hanging out we'd go to pontillo's pizza and uh whoever got stuck in the far end of the booth just got hammered on and i mean just from all sides and I why just, why the far end of the booth you know, man, I grew up with a bunch of great guys who kind of, like, had divorce in their family early, and there was a lot of, like, family issues. And it, it, They could have been some fighters. <laughs> yeah, but they, they were never swingers. I mean, like, I had, I had a couple friends who were fighters, and I, I got in fights here and there. But they were, I think a couple of them had older brothers who were mentally vicious on them, and then they would come hang out with their friends, and they would just transfer it to us. And it just really got me, like... Season Like, I never... I had such a thick skin to it. Isn't it amazing when you look back on your childhood and developing how all of your experiences... They, all of your experiences have kind of accumulated together and to, to make you as a human being. And if some of them weren't there, you would have been different. If your parents were different, you would have been different. If your friends were different, your environment was different. I know, you know, you grew up in upstate New York. If you had grown up in Austin, Texas, you would be different. You well, know? My dad wanted to move to San Diego. I would have been a totally different human yeah. being. If I had grown up, I'd probably be like toned and good shape it's so healthy. strange because it's for me i've become a different person over the last you know 10 years or so of my life that's been the most dramatic change for me um ever since i started smoking weed and ever since i started really uh getting deeper into eastern philosophy and just really being objective and honest about my own thoughts and kind of working i constantly work on improving my mind I'm, I'm, i constantly work on improving my thinking and i think there's always room for improvement there's always room for advancement there's always room for you know there's, there's always artistic improvement there's personal improvement all the different things and and i i, I always stop and, and and consider you know all the different factors that come into place to to make all of your thoughts and to make who you are you know and that you can change those and you can move those around and you could alter those and it's not a rapid thing it's something like the way i describe it it's like two ships and I think I heard Tony Robbins describe it this way and this is where I, I, I ganked this from but Tony Robbins I'm pretty sure it was him described two boats moving in a parallel line right next to each other and that one boat just takes a slight two degree turn to the right well as those boats move forward the one boat that took that slight two degree turn in time it's miles and miles away from that other boat and that's what I kind of feel like that these little changes that you make and you know sometimes you'll 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 fuck up and you'll get back in line with the way you used to be and you don't like it and then you got to turn again. Yeah. You know it's not a it's not an exact process and it's not you know there's sometimes I find myself getting mad about things and I get upset at myself and I'm like you know why why are you getting pissy about that and maybe it's because I haven't worked out you know or maybe it's because I'm under a particularly uh, large amount of stress or I haven't been able to get good sleep you know because I'm busy man there's there's nights where sometimes it's two or three nights in a row where because of my schedule i only get like a couple of hours sleep and that's what you get wear that shit wears thin yeah. and then your ability to tolerate retards diminishes dr drastically yeah, and i have coming at you from all ends always and that's the other thing that people don't understand you know when you're 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 when, you, when you're in uh, any sort of a situation like you are with your podcast or with comedy or, you know, I am, you, you're constantly, you have people.
people coming at you with their bullshit. And to me, it's like an exercise. To me, it's like as long as you're, you know, you're you're objective about it, and you're 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 you kind of assess the whole situation. It's all manageable. But when one or two things goes out of whack, whether it's your sleep or whether it's your, you know, you haven't worked out or whether it's stress, that's when things get squirrely, and that's when things get really hard to manage. You know? Yeah, I've uh, I've really worked hard on changing the way I see the world. You know, um, when I was first moved to Hollywood, I was a, a real hothead. And I, you know, and I, I had uh, good intentions with a lot of stuff I did. But I just, you know, it took me a while and some humbling to get to a place to realize, you know, that I'm just a small speck in the big universe. And, you know, the world doesn't revolve around me. And, you know, everybody's doing the best with what they got. You know, some people saying? don't like that thought. They, they, they think that thought is is not, is not empowering. They think that thought is that, but it actually is empowering. It's it's real. It's realistic. And when you when you come to grips with the fact that you 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 know you're not the shit. You're just a human. You're just one of many, all together in this giant mass organism. You yeah. know, it's it's good for you. For me personally, it's more about owning everything that goes in my life, both the good and the bad, and not just like to turn around and try to blame it on somebody else because shit didn't go well and like really trying to find my fault in the situations and you know it's that's humbling. important it's, I, it's humbling you know and I uh you know I had a lot of good shit going on you know only like a year or two ago like I had a TV show and all this stuff and a lot of stuff like kind of went away and some of a lot of it's my fault and some of it's not but I feel like when I own what happens it makes it deal easier to deal with it and not just stay focused on it and like fucking run around at the shadow people who are trying to hold me back and Right, and this, this point came up during the Daryl Wright podcast, and I'm going to bring it up again just because I think it's very important. You cannot change what other people do to you, but what you can change is what you do. You can change how you view your situation. You can say, well, this person fucked me over, and that, and, but you can, what you can say and what you can help and change is you can say, what did I do, and what's my part in this, and how could I have improved it? What can, what can I do to make sure that I'm around a better class of human beings? Maybe it's my own personal choices that suck. Maybe it's this person reacted to me that way because I wasn't good at dealing with them. You know, there's, you can always improve. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's like the things I did when I was headlining on the road that clubs didn't appreciate. And part of me knew it, but I just felt it was such a crazy show that they would just go with it. But like, what are you talking about? I used to do this uh weird sexy dance closer of where I reverse skull hump a chick on stage and uh, they just what does that even mean please explain to, I don't know to me I don't know what reverse skull hump means and I'm your friend so tell me what that means I always find the girl in the crowd who is uh, the Greg Wilson taught me this move and uh, I always find the loudmouth girl in the crowd who just is like heckling me but really flirting with me and thinking she's you know, she's the shit, and we kind of play this back and forth thing. And then I challenge, I go, really? Why don't you come up on stage and show me what you got? And of course, they'll run up on stage, and I have her give me a dance, and she just grinds on me. And then it's my turn, I, you know, and I tell her, I'm going to light you up. Are you cool with that? And I give the microphone, so yeah, I'm cool. I, I, show me what you got. I'm not afraid. And I just take her and I just basically dry hump her like the shit. I bend her over doggy style. I do this like move that 
in, in porn. It's like the anal move. And then I do this thing where I take her. Wait, you do the anal move. What do you, you mean the anal? The girl like almost sits on, like she's facing out that way and she sits on him and he grabs their legs and he just kind of like, it's a max hardcore move. I don't know if you know that thing, but it's just, it's a really funny like spread eagle move. So you're basically simulating sexual intercourse on the stage. Yeah, because she thinks I'm about to be romantic and I'm just lighten her up right and then i take her and i do this reverse flip skull hump flip thing and it always goes really well <laughs> and the crowd always goes crazy and that's the only reason i kept doing it but the clubs hated it they just hated it and I well it's know, a liability it's dangerous that's exactly what it is even though I, i've never dropped a girl i know i i i get it now and now i wouldn't i don't do it anymore but at that point, it's like, I was just a knucklehead about it, and, you know, and I just fucking, I just like, I, I just did. So learn. that cost you work, you think? Yeah. Without doubt. Cost me work. So you used to be closing a lot of these clubs, and now they won't use you anymore? Is that? Yeah, I don't get used like I used to in a lot of the clubs at all, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I was put in a weird situation in that. They would bring me in on slow, weeks they knew were slow. And then they get mad at me when it was slow. And I'm like, well, that's why you brought me in at this 99 cent store rate, you know? That's why I'm here, you know? They get mad at you? Like, what clubs got mad at you? Well, the, you know, it's all about putting asses in seats, man. What were you doing for a promotion? It's mostly radio at the time? Radio, as much internet as I could at that time. You know, there wasn't really podcasts. You right. know, podcasts, are, you know, like, like two years, like podcasts, two, three, two and a half years, you know, podcast been going so there wasn't any of that stuff and I would always do really well on radio I'm great on radio it just I just either I couldn't get on radio it's or, hard for people to commit to coming out to see a stand-up comic that they don't know because there's so many bad comics and most people assume that if they don't know you you're not funny yeah and that's it and it's like it's unfortunate and I have always had great sets on television and I because I take a lot of pride in that man I'm not someone who just does it for the credit I'm always like, I, this is like a stamp, man. I sure. really want to blow this up. And that's yeah. why I work so hard on new material. And that's why, like, even though this year is the first year in a long time, I haven't done any television stand-up, which really sucks because I have a whole bunch of great shit. But I'm kind of going to hold off on doing little things because I want to do... I don't want to do a half an hour on Comedy Central because personally I just think that's like taking 30 minutes and just throwing it into the abyss and then you just, nobody hears it. I mean, I've never heard anyone going, hey, GC, blah, blah, blah. Uh, actually, I take that back. The last person I heard that was Segoros. Uh, they said they were impressed by his half an hour, but everybody else is, is just like... I think that's just because Segoros really good. I think a lot of guys suck, man. I think that's the reality of it. You know, when... I did this Maxim comedy tour with John Heffron and Charlie Murphy. What we did was every town we went to, we had a different guy open up for us. Usually like a local guy would go on and do a set. And it was some good guys. It was some funny guys. But, you know, a few of them I had heard of or somebody had told me, hey, this guy's going to open up for you in Chicago. He's really good. But then when we got to Phoenix, I had never heard of Tom Segura. And Segura went up and just lit the place up. And it was so good and polished material and you know oh, delivery stand up you did yeah i'm the guy who got him into it how did you do that we were in a groundlings class together and i remember when i started in vegas 
I was in this uh, improv troupe, and they were all like, I was really funny, and they're like, you know what, you should try. Was it Groundlings in Vegas? No, no, no. Well, Groundlings in California. When I started comedy, I started improv because I didn't know the difference between stand-up and improv at that point. But the improv people were like, you're great at, you should, you're really funny, you should try stand-up. So we were in class together here in L.A. in Groundlings, and I saw Tom was really fast. I'm like, you know, I, I should tell him what they told me when I was like just starting i'm like man you're really funny you should try stand up you like you're very quick-witted because i was fast but in that class tom was fast fast and like speed respects speed you know what i'm saying <laughs> and i was like this kid's fast so i was like man you should go out and try stand up and he did it and he's been kicking ass ever since and he'll tell you that man i'm the guy that goes pushed him out so that was in la that was in la on melrose we did the uh did the groundlings class how long ago was this oh this has to be Six, seven years ago, I'd have to say. Yeah, Tom is very funny. Um, I mean, I guess when I was working with him, he'd only been doing comedy a couple of years then, when I first started working with him. Yeah, very funny, mood fat, had a, has a natural, quick sense of humor. Yeah, and this conversation goes full circle because Tom was the one who had that bit about the midgets that I thought was very unfortunate, and he did the bit, and we talked about it on my podcast where a bunch of people we talked about it because he had a kind of a racist joke that he did that was very funny in um, uh, Australia is about aborigines or is it racial because that's my biggest problem right now well he talked about aborigines all being lazy so I think that's kind of racist yeah that that, that falls under <laughs> but uh, the midget thing was the big thing you know I don't have nearly as much of a problem with the, the lazy thing as the midget thing because because it's you like know. the N-word he says, calling them the... No, no, well, he has a whole bit of... Well, yeah, that's actually funny. You know, he has that one line that he does about that. But it's not that. It's just picking on the midgets because you know the bit works. And he did it, and this couple was crying after the show. And, you know, and they were complaining to the manager, and they're crying because they had a kid who was a midget. You know, and they came to see a comedy show, and they just got their feelings hurt. It's just... I don't know. It's fucked up. I it's had a, a weird situation with that. Man. Yeah. It's like, I've had people do stuff about epilepsy. My dad's got epilepsy. I guess I'm a hardened dude and I just detach from it. I guess as someone paying a ticket to be entertained, you know, I could see why they could get upset because that's very personal to them. So I hear a lot of Armenian jokes. Some people say that what you should make fun of is what people do, not what people are. I guess I could see that. That's really smart. Yeah, because you own what you do. That's you, stupid. But what you are is, you know, it's the fuck, man. You can't, you know, you ever, you know, seen someone get picked on for something that there's nothing they can do to control? And it's kind of sad. Well, it's kind of really fucked up. Point. That's really smart. I like that because I do jokes about, like, black guys not passing me the ball or uh, how they hit on chicks. Yeah, that's and all I true. I don't think it's racism no, at all. No, that's racial. It's racial. Yeah. That's my problem with political correctness. Is it? It's it. It teaches. It's almost like taking away thought. It's almost telling stupid people how they should think. If these people say this about this, then that's discrimination. I'm like, that's not true at all. Yeah. There's some people that think also that anytime you bring up any subject, they can call you on being a racist just because you're discussing black people. I just there was a joke that I used to do about UFOs. And the joke was about uh, Roswell, New Mexico, about how the UFO crashed in the desert. And the government printed in the paper, we have recovered a crashed UFO and alien bodies. And the next day they say, oh, it was a weather balloon. Well, what about the aliens? Those are Mexicans. 
So I said that, and this woman screams out, Hey, don't pick on Mexicans. And I go, whoa, I'm not even picking on them. I'm saying the, the white, yeah, the, there's no is, Mexicans in that joke. Yeah, I, I, I have a joke about, uh, uh, well, it involves like robots and like coming here and doing all the jobs. And there, there goes all the jobs for illegals. And if I was in Mexico, I'd attack Japan. And I'd talk about like <laughs> Japan versus Mexico, what a cute war that'd be. That'd be like the Ewoks taking on the Care Bears. That'd be the cutest war ever. And I did that in Comedy Central. And this guy, no, I, I did it on Showtime. And you read some of the comments, like, what do you have against Japanese? I'm like, where in that statement is there something that says Japanese are assholes? Right. If you have human. Yeah. If you even bring up the name in a joke, you're an asshole. Yeah, there's a lot of people that also are really dumb and they think that they have a license to be angry, you know? It also comes to the fact that people connect with the 1950s civil rights movement. Just hear me, I know it sounds weird. They connect with that, like, that thought of that there are people who are taking away our rights and we have to fight for that. And now, 50, 60 years later, we're, we're more mashed. And I'm not saying the world's perfect. But there is that kind of, like, that need to believe that there's somewhere out there, someone out there holding you back. And it explains, like, like even when you hear Paris Hilton, you're like, I've seen her give interviews, which is like, people think it's just so easy to be, they don't understand how many people are, are you know, like, are trying to hold me back and how I have to fight for everything I get. It's like, whoa, she said that? Yeah. That's I'm like, Yeah, and that goes back to that thought that like, I got to suck that dick. I got to put it on video. Yeah. I got to show up at parties. You were born. Yeah. And you chose to be in this kind of tabloid train wreck type of thing. And people like to think, I mean, to me, racism is you can't come here. You can't date these people. You can't come through this fucking entrance. You can't live. That's racism. A, 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 a racial observation in no way discriminates against you or holds you back. Something that Michael Richards does, yelling the N-word, that's obviously racism. Bill Burr's joke about black guys having coordinated outfits and that's being gay, like that's not racism. You know what I'm saying? Racial. It's racial. And unfortunately, there's nobody, for the longest time, nobody wanted to address it. Because, like, calling... Sarah Tiana talks about this a lot. She's a very funny comic. She talks about how, you know, there was a time where calling a white person racist was almost as bad as calling a black person the N-word because it was it was a death blow. Yeah. If you got called a racist in, sure. the, in public, you know, people would just start freaking out. Yeah. Uh -oh. What's going on here? Who cares? We're in the middle of a podcast, Matthew. God. Oh, it's going to reset the system. Hmm. Can you hear his... I don't know if you guys could hear how gay he is. Double, double rainbows, man. Yeah. Calling someone a racist is just like, you know, if they are racist, you know, and it's valid, that's one thing, but... As a as a weapon, you know, it's to me like when you get in an argument with a woman and she goes, "You hate women. You have a problem with women." Like, no, I have a problem with you, stupid. And you just happen to have a vagina. Well, it becomes a a way to stop conversation. Like, you know, when you're in an argument with somebody and they say something, you have nothing to come back and you jump to this political correct argument where like, oh, that's just racist. Well, it's really not racist. Like uh, LeBron James. 
he's had a lot of the backlash against him leaving sh- Cleveland to go to Miami had racism and that's not true at all they just didn't like how you handled it you handled it very poorly I mean everybody's moved on since then but it, you know it's so easy to go there and be like oh this is racism and because there was a time where that would stop the conversation you know it's like when you're having an argument about women and between women and men and you know and you're discussing like who's got worse blah blah and then you jump right to sexual assault that like stops the conversation yeah. right there the misogynist uh, reference you know or misogynist label that immediately you know puts you in a spot too you, you know, don't it's like, like women where do you get that because I don't like you. Yeah, yeah. No. I'm like talking you represent about. all women. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it, it try, it's stopping the conversation because you don't have any answer for it. Well, that's the disgusting thing about political correctness. Just even the term, like, you don't really have an opinion on this. You're taking the stance that you think politically is going to be the most acceptable. And that's what it is. Instead of looking at all human beings as individuals and recognizing whatever flaw they may have as something that, or whatever flaw as a group, you know, a giant culture has, you know, racially. Like Russell Peters has a lot of racial jokes. You know, they're great jokes. It's that, that, that's Those are observations. Those are observations on human beings. But as soon as you go politically correct, all those observations are supposed to be ignored. You're supposed to put blinders on and have this, you know, a really uh, false sense of what the world is or false um, portrayal of the world. Yeah, and what it comes down to is that they, they, uh, they accept certain things from certain people. Yeah. So it doesn't really become the message. What it really becomes is the messenger. Which at the end of the day is uh, discrimination again. What is the cause of that? Is that because people are being forced into large groups and school and, and work and, and, and you know and a bunch of people that they not wouldn't necessarily want to be around and so we have to figure out some way for everyone to get along. So certain things are just off limits and certain subjects are just clearly defined in advance. I mean, is that what's going on? Well, I think it was uh, over. There, you know, it's not an overreaction because you know there was horrible race relations and at this country you know I go around the world and I tell you man I, the, I miss two things when I leave America sports center and black people because you don't get like that kind of diversity that you get living in America I mean you get you get some in Toronto it's a very diverse but nothing like Southern California and I really love that and at a time like the mixing wasn't happening so you had to do stuff to encourage the mixing the the uh, what it is, you'll, you'll never get to the point where everybody's in and nobody makes fun of nobody. All you can hope for is equal access to opportunity, to feed your family, to take care of yourself, to grow business-wise. That's all you want. Whether someone has an observation you don't like, it'll never be that. What political correctness does is it's trying to uh, compensate for people's lack of common sense. Really, when at the end of the day, it's common sense. If I hear you say a joke, I either can take it as that's an observation or that's some racist shit right there. But there's also a lot of people that say mean shit that's not true and it's just fucked up just to make a joke out of it. And they say, hey, it's a joke. I don't like that either. I hate that shit. Own your shit. I hate when you say something on stage and people at the end, uh, they do some stupid kind of like, you know, all I'm trying to do is start conversation or just get everybody. Well, no, you're just trying to shock fucking people. I never say anything on stage just to shock people. Now, I've said true shit that people are just like, and sometimes I gotta, I'll be like, okay, I gotta pull that because it just puts them in crazy places. So, uh, you know, I talk about like 
when I go home for Christmas, sometimes I got to sit at the kids' table. It's me with a bunch of kids. And I'm like, how old are these kids, eh? I paid for abortions that'll be older than this. And you know, and some people just get like, that word itself gets fucking people freaked out. Yeah. So I just don't even say it. You know, I just pulled it out because it's just, it's too much to try to get. It almost takes people out of the act. Well, you know, the problem is a lot of people have abortions too and they're not happy that they had it. And, and it's fucking with their head. It's fucking with their subconscious. And I'm like, hey, you're the ones who marching fucking, you're marching for the right for it. I don't know why we're getting quiet around it. I pay for half. Well, it's, it's like you're crazy. You know when the subject of abortion gets really weird is when you have kids that you love more than life itself. That's when it gets really weird. You're like, wow, well, what is abortion? I mean, I, I don't think I have any right to tell you what you can and can't do with your body. But you are, at certain point, killing a baby. You know, I don't know if it's on day no, one or if I it's day 90 that. or... Wait, what day is it? Is it, is it the seventh month that you're killing a baby? I don't know. When, whenever the baby can live outside the womb, I don't know. But at well, certain point, time, what is that, it, though? Yeah. I it's, mean, but even discussing it, it's another politically correct topic, especially amongst liberals. It's a, an, a topic where you're not supposed to you're not supposed to even bring up that subject like hey when are you killing a baby it's a personal choice a woman has a right to choose what she okay I agree both sides man they both have that area where they're just like no we can't talk about that or you know that's against God or we're against killing so we're going to shoot abortion doctors and blow up clinics the the logic there is insanity and the people that are uh, I though like people who are pro-choice a lot more than I like people that are pro-life the people that are like militant pro-life and picket abortion clinics I just find them all to be fucking wackos or at least a huge percentage of them to be wackos yeah. and I don't know why that is I don't want, know why there can't be a rational discourse and I don't think it's the right choice at all times but I don't think it's the wrong choice at all times either I think I just don't think that those people have any outlet for their their like deep dark desires they yeah. can't outlet so they just go fucking crazy you know I had a discussion with a friend of mine who's very pro-life and I was telling him, you know, man, we, we're discussing uh, gay adoption. And I've had friends who were raised in foster homes. And, it, you know, they don't get a lot of life skills, man. And I would rather somebody, a kid grow up with two gay parents who love them and teach them life and, you know, hold them and give them that kind of human connection than, you know, to make them grow up in foster. And I'm not saying if you grew up in foster, I'm not judging you at all. I'm just saying there should be as many options out there as possible to, to be adopted by whoever will love and show you the most kind of, uh, give you the best life skills. We're all about diversity, ladies and gentlemen. We're all about love. We're all about acceptance. That's what Sam Triple and I are all about. Is that right, how Sam? funny this podcast was. <laughs> podcast sucks. It's I'm not funny. No, I'm sorry. You know, it's interesting. It's like like half the podcasts we do aren't funny. You know, I mean, more than half, probably. I mean, I'm sure there's been some funny moments in this. We both laugh, but you know, it's it's not about that. It's just it's talking. You know, it's. Do you uh, find that they, uh, do you ever get like a uh, crit? critiques about that wasn't sure. funny at all yeah. oh yeah all the time thought you were a comedian okay whatever you know i mean sometimes we're talking about psychedelic drugs and sometimes we're talking about aliens something you know or sometimes we're talking about pussy farts you know you never know man Which it's is always a good time yeah some things are funny and some things are not and it's just whatever man it's, we're trying to figure this life out just like you and that's what the podcast is about folks and one of the most rewarding just- things about this podcast and i i got it 
left and right in Toronto. There's all these people coming up to me, telling me how much this podcast is influencing their thinking and influencing the way they view the world. And in that sense, this podcast today is very much in line with that because, you know, for people that are thinking about, you know, improving their life and are thinking about all the the, the tension, the strife and all the, the, the confrontation that they get in when they believe one thing and other people believe another thing. And, you know, it's so it is in line with that. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, can we add laugh tracks to this? Like just <laughs> like bad sitcom laugh yeah. tracks. Like a sitcom on the WB. Yeah, just we need some canned laughter somewhere to, to punch up. I had fun, man. I think we're good. I had fun too. And uh, I think that's it, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to get a hold of Sam Tripoli, you can catch Sam on Twitter at Sam T R I P O L I. Sam Tripoli. You can also see the Naughty Show podcast, which is on the Death Squad podcast on iTunes. Just look for the ones, if you go on iTunes, look for the ones that say Naughty, the Naughty Show. And uh, Sam also has uh, a Naughty Show live show, which is a fucking awesome show. It's not just stand-up comedy. It's got a lot of videos and a lot of cool planned-up shit, and they play games, and it's really, really well-produced. And I said that to you the first time I saw it. I was like, dude, this this really needs to be in Vegas. It's really fucking funny. We're working on it. We got one coming up May 14th with uh, Mary Carey in Santa Barbara at uh, Velvet Jones, so y'all come out and check out the show. And what we were talking about, about, you know, your, your, your stand-up and, you know, how you're having a hard time, you know, getting booked in clubs, and I really think that this podcast is going to be the difference, man. I think it's been a huge difference for me uh, doing Massey Hall in Toronto. 2,600 people, I asked them, how many guys listen to the podcast? It was like 100%. It was nuts. It was a huge ovation, you know, um, and it, it's been that way for the past... I say five, five, six months. The the podcast audience has completely overtaken all the other audiences. It used to be like I would get comedy fans. I would used to get a lot of Fear Factor fans in the early days, and a lot of UFC fans. It was just a mix of everybody. But now it's all people that listen to the podcast and and are there just to see the comedy. And it's uh, Dana it's, White it's, said some really nice stuff about you uh, when we were in his private room, man. He's heard about your podcast too. Over the last two days, like a bunch of questions thrown to him, and yeah, a bunch of people had said that to him. And, and Max Kellerman was one of them. Who uh, Max? If you're out there, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a bad motherfucker. I love your boxing commentary. I think you're the best. He's great. He's he great. Has passion. Dude. He's awesome. He's passionate. He's intelligent, and he's got skills as a rapper. By the way, check out Max Kellerman before he was ever uh, a, a, a boxing broadcaster. Was actually a rapper. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. White rappers. I think him and his brother, uh, rest in peace, had uh, some sort of uh, a rap band thing going on. But Max is good. He's got skills. So that's the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the fourth edition, I believe, of Podcast on a Plane. Let's see. I did one, two, three. I think it's number four. I'm pretty sure it's number four. Whatever it is, folks, it is what it is. Sam Tripoli, Joe Rogan, signing out. Love you, bitches, as always. And uh, we will be back uh, with an official podcast um, with uh, a regular one in studio with Duncan Trussell. Duncan will be on um, Monday, April 2nd at 4 p.m. So by the time you hear this, it's probably already over. See you on May 2nd. Did I say April? Whatever, bitches. You know what I'm saying? All right. Love you guys. Ciao. Bye-bye. The Joe Rogan Experience is sponsored by the number one sex toy for men, the Fleshlight. Go to JoeRogan.net, click the banner on the right side that says Fleshlight, enter the coupon code ROGAN, and save yourself 15%.